Right. So it has finally happened. All right. I know this segment's all about transfer talk, but we can't ignore the elephant in the room. My man Jack wrote an article about it. All right. Jaden Sancho is finally a red devil. United have finally signed the right player as their first signing. You know, yo, this one for the first time in like four years, Manchester United can this, done something can this, smart. Can this be a coincidence? Given that Edward Bird is going to leave his post, <laughs> can this be a coincidence? You know, I mean, it, it's really funny how Edward Bird spent a good three months last summer low-balling Borussia Dortmund. It was like consistently low-balling Borussia Dortmund. Saying initially, oh, we wouldn't pay more than 50 million for Jadon Sancho. You're they ridiculous. They to like 65. And, you know, they flirted with like 70 near the end of the window. And Dortmund were like, nah, screw y'all. We're not selling him. Yeah. If y'all keep this nonsense up, we're not selling him. Darren Fletcher comes in as director of football. Within like two months, Jadon Sancho is a Man United player. Granted, they were they were able to get the discount on them this year that they didn't get last year because Dortmund had you know this gentleman's agreement with Jane Sancho that said the moment that we get a offer that we like, we're going to sell you because you know we should have sold you last year. That's what you wanted, but United lowballed us. If they give us a respectable offer, we'll sell you. I mean, fair, so, fair play to Dortmund. Man. Fair play to Dortmund. But I mean, I guess it sort of speaks volumes to Edward's ability as a uh, you know. Or right? or lack thereof. Yeah, I mean lack thereof. But uh, me, it sort of like paints a bigger picture here. You know, a revelation that uh, and I'm not gonna go off the United tangent because we have a couple of other things to discuss. But it sort of paints this picture. You know, for the past eight years, eight years, I think you can correct me on that. But we could have gotten more signings. We could have gotten people that. We genuinely. I, mean, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say you've gotten more signings. You could have gotten better signings. Yeah, yeah, better signings. I mean, I have. You know, like, I have right in front of me Man United's net spend over the last six years. <laughs> so you couldn't have gotten more. You could have gotten better. Better signings or signings that you know actually would have helped the club out. Signings that we needed, you know. Instead of buying uh, Marwan Fellaini, for instance, when or Fred. To, or Fred. Oh, well, hey, yo, I have a soft spot. I don't know. That defense will hate me for this, but I didn't even realize they spent fifty million pounds on Fred. Fifty million. <laughs> That's the same amount of 50. money we spent on Aaron Wan Bissaka. Actually, I, th- I think just... it was fifty-three. It was fifty-three point one million pounds. Yo, mate. All for right, a player cool. that uh... for a player that Jose Mourinho didn't even want. Yeah, it's this sort of like Donny. No, but that's, that's, that brings up another point as well. It's sort of like a Donny van der Beek situation here, right? She's buying players that the managers clearly do not want or clearly won't use. So yeah, why, and I, why think, is I remember seeing the end of the transfer window last year. Uh, Solskjaer had three main targets that he wanted. I don't remember who the third was, but I remember the two of them were Usman Dembele and Diogo Dembele. So he clearly identified that the right wing and center back were two of the biggest issues in this team. And instead, you know, we get I mean, to, be, to be fair, I mean, to be fair, Alex Tellez, I think, was a reasonable signing, even though Luke Shaw's emerged as now this great player. Edison Cavani was a great signing. Um, but I guess it's too early to tell with Palestri. It's too early to tell with Diallo. But, you know. It wasn't what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wanted. Now, immediately no. when Darren Fletcher comes in, 
signs Jane Sancho, who's the right winger that Allegra Solskjaer wanted. And it looks like they're maybe in pole position to sign Rafael Veron, who is what who at least fills that center back role that Oligarner Solskjaer identified as the main as one of the main uh, points for this team. Whereas Edward Wood was beating around the bush and doing whatever the heck the whatever mental gymnastics he was doing to justify the signings that Oli didn't necessarily want. Darren Fletcher has come in and said here's a player that you want, we're working on another player that you want. You know why? You know why? Um, I, I have a theory behind this, right? Darren Fletcher has had enough of Edward Wood. He's looked at his old teammate, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's like, man, you know, I need to help my brother out, you know. You know he used to boss it under Sir Alex. I'm going to take the position, I'm going to show how things are done. And he comes in and he shows how things are done. Um, I mean, also credit to the other bloke. I can't. I mean, I'm sorry, his name isn't Darren Fletcher, so you know, I can't recall who he is. But um, then, I can't recall. Uh, Jack, you need to help me out here, my brother. I'm sorry. What name are you trying to think of? The other director, technical director. I think he's either director of football or technical director. I can't. I can't get my terminologies right. Darren Fletcher's director of football, if I'm not mistaken. So the other guy's technical director, I think. And he's had a part to play in the sign. John Murtaugh. John Murtaugh, not Dan. Yeah. Sorry, I was mistaking Dan Hamez. And yes, I am saying Dan Hamez and Spock, alright? I don't care what people say. <laughs> and Dan Hamez, alright? I'm saying John Murtaugh. So John Murtaugh and Darren Fletcher, what a combination, what a duo. Clearly, they know what they're doing. Hopefully, this continues and they don't, you know, <laughs> deteriorate into Edward Wood in the future. But hey, yeah. and I think. Good first start. Good first start. Yeah, I think they've approached this window with the necessary urgency that it needs to. So obviously, I mean, Manchester United finished second last season, but with Chelsea's emergence under Thomas Tuchel and with likely a rebound season under uh, with Liverpool, I yeah. don't think top four is necessarily secure. Yes, yeah, true. And not to mention, so, you know, the insane findings that Arsenal are getting. So um, <laughs> <laughs> more more like the business that Leicester's doing. Let's be realistic That's true. here. But that's true. That's true. It's, it's not necessarily for certain that... I mean, Manchester United's goal is they want to try and chase down Manchester City. But they also need to do that while making sure that the gap between them and the, and the chasing pack remains. And this is exactly what I put in this article. I think making the signing at centre-back and defensive midfielder is immediately necessary for this window. And it looks like they're making moves along that right path, given that they're now heavily linked with Rafael Varane and they've been starting to accelerate some links with Declan Rice. And I think both of those would be fantastic signings. But it's just amazing that this urgency didn't exist for the last eight years. And we saw how Manchester United went over those eight years versus when there is someone who's at least fairly competent in charge. Uh, yo, I'm, I'm really excited to be a United fan again because, you know, even if Jaden Sancho comes and he doesn't perform in his first few games, right? I'm fine with that because the system meant that the fans want that the manager clearly has uh, well rather he plays in a position that the manager has stressed some sort of priority <laughs> alright we brought in Dan James thinking that this man will become the next Ryan Giggs right wing Ryan Giggs but no this is not how things work Dan Ahmed sorry my bad but <laughs> I was about my, to call you out on that <laughs> my, 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 and you know, I'm, I'm glad you know we brought in a world class player who is really young who has shown in the Bundesliga that he's able to be consistent. Man has had 20 assists in all games. 
for the past three consecutive seasons, I think that's really hard to do, you know, to reach twenty <laughs> exact twenty uh, exact figure of twenty for three consecutive seasons in terms of assists. Yo, what a star! What a star! And, and I think, I think this now puts the pressure on Ole because he now no longer has an excuse to not rotate his team. Like he has a player in Sancho that is not only an elite right winger but can play anywhere across the front line. He has no that excuse now to play Bruno Fernandez as much as he plays. I found the statistic when researching for this that Bruno Fernandez has played more games than any player in, in Europe's top five leagues in 2020, 2021. Well, He's that, played, I believe, what, the third most amount of minutes. I mean, that sort of explains uh, why you know he might not have been as effective as he could have been for Portugal because man has been drained. Yeah, I think there are multiple reasons for that, but. I think, yeah, largely fatigue could have been an issue there. And it's going to continue to be an issue if he still gets played to this insane degree. And, I mean, I said this when United signed Donny van de Beek when that didn't turn out to be true, but Ole has no excuse now. No, he he now has, I mean, effective squad players in Martial and Greenwood who can fill in on either wing or at striker. He has uh, Donny van de Beek who can fill in in either the 10 or the 8. He'll probably end up signing a 6 to the point where, you know, McTominay and Fred can fill in at either the 8 or the 6. Yeah. And Sancho can play along the front line. So he has no excuse to not rotate his team when it's available to him. And he has no excuse to not utilize a plan B when it is available to him. True. But he has... um... You know, I mean, history. If they don't he sell any history, though, which is the added caveat, because there were some news articles coming out that after Sancho signed, there would be potential sales of Donny van de Beek, um, Dan James, and um, Anthony Martial. Well, well, I mean, Jack sort of reconnecting here, guys, but um, as he suddenly joins in time now, all right, let's just wait for that. I think I'm, Jack I'm does back. have a point. Yeah, you are back, but I think I'm just where did I cut off? Um, you uh, your last sentence, right? That it's, everyone here heard was uh, they're probably going to make sales and you know three other players were Tony Van de Beek, Dan James, and Anthony Martial. And I was gonna quickly add in. I don't think United fans. Uh, I mean, some United fans have a soft spot for Martial, but um, not me. No, no longer. I used to as well. <laughs> no longer. I think it's high time. You know, we give that opportunity to one of our youth academy prospects at the very least you know you want to find someone I think Ole is really really interested in developing you know from within because there are many talented youngsters within that United squad right now United youth squad right now putting trust into the youngsters is something Ole needs to show and I hope he continues to show it I mean, granted, he was sort of forced to, into that whole predicament of building youngsters due to the tight fixture schedule towards the end. That's how Anthony Langa got his start. Some people might argue. I, I buy it too. But end of the day, I do think there are a couple of talented young players coming through from the United Academy squad that deserve a chance. And if that means, you know, Anthony Martial being thrown the door, sure. You know, if it means getting a young prospect, young hot prospect in, letting him, you know, make some, uh, you know, giving him some appearances rather. I, I mean, I would buy that. I know, granted, you would say you should reinvest that money into a proper striker like Alexander Isaac. <laughs> but Well, yes, uh, he is a proper striker. He is a proper striker. Put some striker. respect on man's name. Yeah, you know, he is a proper striker. 
I think but that. I mean, mm-hmm. Sorry, finish your finish your thought. No, I said I was gonna say like I rather even play Greenwood up front as backup to Edison Cavani. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. And but I think there's two sides to this coin. One is Martial had a really bad 2020-2021. You can still probably get a somewhat decent amount of money for him in return. You're going to be giving that those minutes to Amadiallo, um, Mason Greenwood, Anthony Alonga, and that's probably more effective for their development than playing Martial there. But on the other end, the added competition of having Martial there is probably really good for those young players in training. He can play on multiple wings. Even though his 2020, uh, his last season, season was bad, the season before he scored 17 goals in the Premier League, and that can't be scoffed at. Um, the potential is still there for him to be a good squad player, especially when he has when he has to compete for his place. And at the end of the day, if you want to chase Manchester City to win the league, your depth options cannot be Dan James, Anthony Alonga, Mason Greenwood. No disrespect to any of them, but you need to have good players to rotate and have in depth, especially if you're going to be fighting on four fronts next year, and especially if you want to contend for the league title and contend for the Champions League, which it might be a little bit too early realistically for United to be contending for either of those titles, but mm-hmm, this is Manchester mm-hmm. United. You need to be you need to be in every competition that you were in. I mean, you need to aim to win every competition that you're in. That's true. I mean, and I think, granted, I was just I'm sorry, again, I was just no say, disrespect. Not... Sorry, just, Go just ahead. the one last little segment. No disrespect to the players that are there, especially no disrespect to the young players like Alanga. But Martial yeah. is a better rotational piece than Dan James, than Anthony Alanga, than probably right now Maggiallo and whoever's going to come up from that youth academy. So there's there's definitely two sides to that coin. I can no, just, sure, you can justify sure. selling them. You can justify keeping them. If for it were sure, me, I would sure. probably I would probably keep him for one more year because you're gonna need Yo, to sign a striker next year anyway. So you saying that because the boy came from Lyon, right? I've 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 disparaged him way too much to be able to use the Lyon justification. I'm using logic and common sense. I would still probably sell him next summer, but, but this summer. you can justify keeping him for one more year. And just okay, seeing what happens. If he becomes a really good rotational piece and he starts to get back to what he was in 2019-2020, then you can keep him for longer. But if not, I don't think they're going to lose much sleep losing value on Anthony Martial. True. I mean, he has been a valuable player for us at times, but I think it's time for us to part ways. And I think for the betterment for his own career, because I don't think he's going to start over Edison Cavani. I'm being dead honest. I think Edison Cavani, despite being significantly older and, you know, probably slowly... Uh, well, I don't even think he's past his prime, because man is still pretty snob- pretty good, you know? <laughs> his oh, he's, de- he's definitely past his prime, but that doesn't but- mean that he's bad. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, like he he's, he's 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 been really really good for United, and I think Ole would put his trust in Cavani and slowly phase him out and let maybe Greenwood, you know, occupy that number nine position. Because I think Greenwood should be a number nine, <laughs> given that he's been. If he works on his heading, he is a complete forward. He really yeah, is. Yeah, he absolutely right? is, and he played well as a right winger in the few times that he was sort of tasked with playing that role. But you can tell with how he played, the runs he made. He's um, just Yeah, you can tell he's a striker. He he plays like a striker, just playing on the right. All right. 
before we dive into more Manchester United uh, stuff, because we tend to do that given that both of us are hard, ardent United fans. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We're both the biggest Manchester United fans. Definitely. Right, for those... Two of us, not just one of us, both of us. All right. For, for, for those listeners that don't know, Jack hates United, but he doesn't hate United as much as he does Liverpool because he's a big Everton fan. And I, um, I, can be, I can still be objective. <laughs> the little applause of OG came off. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, okay. okay uh, Listener, okay. congratulations. Yes, I too hate Manchester United. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yo, someone actually left us a, 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 a voice message, man. Right? You want me to play it? No, don't do that. Okay, well, cool. I can always edit it out during the podcast. Yeah, no, whatever. Right. Go for it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I agree. I think Greenwood should be the uh, backup striker, rotational sub uh, in place for Cavani. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I think Ole got Sancho and has been trying to get Sancho um, this summer. Yeah, I think that's well, spot hey, on. That's spot on, man. You know, we can't, we can't disagree with that since we sort of said that during this session. 100%. Hey. Thank, thank you, thank you very much for for, for, for the input. Um, and likewise, guys, if you guys feel like you guys want to join in and you know, offer your own insights, you might not always take them, especially if you're one of my friends, because I know you guys are a bunch of trolls. But uh, <laughs> um, hey, you know, join us on Stereo. Um, a very very uh, important development has also taken place. You know, since we last had our podcast, um, we finally. You know, had the Spurs manager. We finally had the Everton manager. You know, we thought this will go on until the end of the transfer window. This will go on until the start of the season. But I think they they listened to our podcast, Jack, and they went. They went. This has uh, to be ending now. This has to be ending now. We can't we can't fit more ammunition for these jokers. So uh, we're gonna appoint the best out there. All right, and. Spurs certainly have. I think Spurs have been smart with their signing and the appointment of uh, you know, No, they absolutely have not. Hey, hey, who else could they have gone for? Jurgen Klinsmann? Do you seriously want Jurgen Klinsmann to be managing Spurs? I mean, I would because I know they would be trash, but... Paul Fonseca would probably have been a better choice, but for tax reasons, he wasn't. I think Christophe Galtier, well, not necessarily for Spurs, I don't think Christophe Galtier would have been the right choice. Maybe but Nuno was the right choice. I don't think there was a lot for them to choose from. No one wants to manage Spurs right now. No one wants to work with Daniel Levy, man, alright? And to it's... potentially have to deal with the outgoing, the one major outgoing, and that's, and that's Tottenham team of Harry oh, well. Kane. Here's the thing, right? Here's, here, here's the thing. I think um, there is a chance, there is a very, very big chance you might see a couple of Wolves players, uh, players from Wolves moving over to Tottenham. Specifically ones who are managed by Jorge Mendes. Probably. If very I mean, specifically. Has... I mean very, I mean I think there are multiple Jorge <laughs> Mendes clients in that Tottenham team. I think Matt Doherty is a Jorge Mendes client. Oh wow. Well I'm not surprised given that he came from Wolves. <laughs> you know. It's, everyone it's, it's everyone not... at Wolves is a Jorge Mendes everyone, client. You know. Here's the thing, if if Harry Kane does leave I know you might disagree with me, but I feel that Raul Jimenez would have been that per- would have been a perfect replacement for someone like Harry Kane. Had he I mean, not had I was, that 
injuries. I was about to say the same thing. No, there is no perfect replacement for Harry Kane. Like, oh, when I mean perfect replacement, I mean someone to lead the, the line. Best you to, can, the best you the can, best you can do, do when you're yeah, replacing exactly. one of the three best strikers on the planet. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. the best striker to ever play in the history of the Premier League. I don't but, think you're going to risk it with Raul, though. I mean, yeah, especially with his head injury. I mean, depending on how he's recovered from it. I have I haven't kept up with that story about how he's recovered with it, if he's in preseason for Wolves yet, hmm. and just how Maybe that's a, going. But The potential article idea, my friend. Potential article idea, indeed. Yeah, very true. But I think the direction that Spurs are going to go in is large. Is It's basically dependent on what happens with Harry Kane. Do, do they let him leave this summer? Do they take a more cut rate deal to let him leave this summer? Do they hold out for next summer when potentially the teams that lose the Erling Holland sweepstakes are going to be looking for a striker and they could potentially get more money out of him then, but they're going to have to deal with the season of Harry Kane basically not wanting to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just basically the whole future of Tottenham is just down to that one move. Because, I mean, I don't think they're going to make a big move this summer. They're linked with Julkunda from Sevilla, but I don't think that's a move that's going to happen. I don't think Spurs have the finances to pull Julkunda away from Sevilla. They'll probably sign someone like Joachim Anderson, who played well for Fulham last season. Toby Alvarez, I believe, has said he wants to leave Tottenham. So that could be just sort of an easy like-for-like swap that they could put in, get someone younger, more athletic, better Mm -hmm. on the ball. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that sort of starts them on the road to recovery. But it's it's kind of hard for Spurs because they're the next five years of this club is going to be defined on what they do with the money they get for Harry Kane and how much money they get for Harry Kane. Oof. It's very much like when Bale left when he went to Real Madrid. And Yo, when he went to Real Madrid, didn't he went on like some sort of buying spree to yeah, some sort like of almost him? all the players were terrible. Except Eric Lamella, but I mean Eric except Lamella Eric, like... except I think yeah, Eric Lamella, and I think they signed Christian Eriksen at that time period too. Oh wow! And I think they might have also signed Jan Vertonghen in that time period too, because they both came from Ajax. But the thing is, right? If Nuno is given control over the transfers, I would think that he's going to bring in good players. I, I would well, think then so. that that begs the question: if Nuno if Nuno is given control of the transfers, who has control of the transfers? Because he might is be, it Nuno or is it Jorge Mendes? He might be Jorge Mendes. Might like, be based Jorge on Mendes. the last year and a half of Wolves, you might say it's Jorge yeah, Mendes. But I mean, but then again, right? Then again, right? We did talk about this a bit. You know, the the whole Jorge Mendes Wolves hierarchy affiliation kind of thing. You don't have that as well. I wouldn't necessarily say that. Why not? I think, well, it was one of the main talking points when um, Crystal Palace turned on Nuno. One of the reasons was they weren't comfortable with how much control Nuno wanted Georgia Mendes to have when it came to the team, the construction of the team. I think it's not going to be as prominent as it was at Wolves because the Wolves owners, I believe, are investors in the Guest of Food Institute, which is sort of the footballing institution that the Jorge Mendes runs. But I think wherever Nuno goes and wherever Jorge Mendes goes, there's going to be a significant Jorge Mendes influence in the transfers. And to be fair, that's how a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot, but that's how 
some major transfers in the Premier League have been going recently. Like the influence specifically of Mino Raiola, Jorge Mendez, and Kia Jaropjian in sort of hierarchies of clubs is sort of how some moves end up happening. So mm. I think wherever Nuno went, Jorge Mendes was going to fall off. Well, I mean... Mm. Especially because they, well, they both have a very close personal relationship, too. I believe Nuno was Jorge Mendes' first client. That was no sort of the launching point. I believe he was, yeah. Back when whoa. Nuno was a player, well, I, mean, I think. And that was sort of the launching point for... Or it may have been Nuno, like the beginning of Nuno's managerial career. I don't remember exactly, but that was sort of the launching point of Jorge Mendoza's career. Well, I guess time will tell who, who comes this first, but they definitely need reinforcements holding uh, Harry Kane's departure. Um, speaking of yes. another club that needs reinforcements, man, uh, let's talk about Everton. And we Rafa don't need Benitez reinforcements, we need prayers. <laughs> <laughs> we need the we need the thoughts and prayers of the football world. What has happened, man? How has Rafa? I mean, okay, granted, Rafa wants to spend more time with his family. That's the reason why the Everton move makes sense because, I mean, his kids are still in uh, Merseyside. You know, they grew up there. You know, it's practically like home for him. But he didn't have to come to Everton, bro. He could have gone to any other club. He could have gotten to Spurs, for all I guess. But he had to come to Everton, man. And uh, I don't think Liverpool fans are as livid as Everton fans, but you know some of them are not too happy about it. Most of them are, you know, they're cool with it, given how you know Rafa gave them that night in Istanbul and whatnot. So um, it's 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 uh, it's a funny one. So I, I want to know how how do you feel about it? You know, now that it's all confirmed and you see the man wearing a nice Evertonian scarf. That was that was a very very interesting moment. I think just to talk about the first point that you were talking about, the whole view of it from Liverpool fans and Everton fans. I think there is sort of two sides to the coin when it comes to how Liverpool fans view him because, yeah. um, like he's he is the guy that gave them. Istanbul, which was yeah. at least prior to Jurgen Klopp showing up, that was the crowning achievement of modern Liverpool. Yeah. Even though, to be honest, they shit house the entire the entire tournament. But you know, that's neither here nor there. But I think not only because he took over after sort of the run of the late 90s, early 2000s under Jared Houllier when Michael Owen left and it looks like they're sort of going into rebuild. But he took over, he brought in players like Xavi Alonso, Fernando Torres, he turned Jamie Carragher into an actual useful central defender and True. he turned them into league title contenders. And they, if they didn't mess it up in the second half of the season in 2009, they might have won the league that year. But I think it's also because how he left wasn't necessarily his fault. Yeah, that I think a yeah. lot of Liverpool fans looked at it as, you know, he left because the owners turned on him. The owners weren't backing him to enough of a degree. He was getting as much as he could out of that team, but given the poor financial situation that Liverpool were in at the time, given the fact that they almost went into administration, and given how not transparent the ownership was at that time, it sort of had the feeling of, okay, they abandoned Rafa and Rafa didn't abandon them. 
Mm. Now, I think some of that was a little ruined by him going to take the Chelsea job because... Yeah, that's another thing, right? Um, Especially at that time, Liverpool and Chelsea did not like each other. No, like they're not, you know, traditional rivals, obviously, but they're they really did not like each other at that time. And I think that's sort of poisoned the chalice a little bit. But given that he only stayed for one season, I think, you know, that much of that damage is under the bridge now. And him taking the Everton job, I think there are Liverpool fans who are probably upset by it because of the rivalry between Liverpool and Everton. He's the first manager, I believe, ever, if not in just in the history of modern football, who has managed both Liverpool and Everton. And there is some Whoa, of that. That's actually a very good there. point. Yeah. But at the same time, I still think Liverpool fans love him. What about Everton fans then? They don't love him. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> it's almost been humiliating just to see this reaction because like there were banners hanging up on bed sheets outside of Goosen Park multiple times saying you know Rafa we don't want you you're not welcome fat cop like bastard something like that uh, there's a banner that was near his family home in Wirral Wirral is a fairly well off village uh, in the outskirts mm-hmm. of Liverpool and mm-hmm. it was a banner that said you know we know where you live don't sign Ironically Ooh. speaking, he was left outside the wrong house, so they don't know where he lives. But <laughs> it was very clear that that was done by Everton fans, and that was directed at Rafa Benitez. And that whole, like, I don't like, I can say definitively, I do not like this hire. I do not believe it is a good hire. I do not care that he used to be a Liverpool manager. That is not part of my frustration about this. But I can mm. still objectively say that the reaction from a lot of Everton fans has been very, very humiliating. It has been a very not good look for Everton Football Club. No, it is not for sure, especially if they're threatening the man outside his own home. But or outside I'm curious home to know. Stranger. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, poor, 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 poor family. You know, like they didn't do anything wrong. They, they probably be like, what? Yeah, what like, do you mean? Don't sign. What am I not supposed to sign? <laughs> no, but um, I guess what I wanted to backtrack a bit and find out why don't you think he's is a good hire by Everton? So, there's a lot of things. This is, this is a whole big story. In the blog piece that I wrote about this, I wrote about mm. how there was a lot of thoughts of the media, because there was so much radio silence from Everton, there was a lot of uh, speculation from the media about how this decision was being made, who was involved in the decision, who was not involved in the decision. Um, they basically concluded that, oh, this was the decision of Everton's owner, Farid Mashiri. And... Mm. He did this in consultation. I believe it was Matt Law from the Daily Telegraph, who was the first, I believe, to say that this was done in consultation with Alshir Usmanov, who is uh, Farid Mashiri's main business partner. They were together with Arsenal when they both were part of Red White Holdings in the Arsenal ownership group. He's now affiliated sponsorship-wise with Everton because Everton um, sponsor... Uh, one of Everton's sponsors is Usmanov's company, but largely for geopolitical reasons, he is not part of the ownership group. But and it was also reportedly done with Mashiri calling Roman Abramovich, who is the owner of Chelsea Football Club, and getting his opinion on Rafa Benitez as a manager. Which, when it came out in the media, it came. It was almost too fantastical to be true. Like, yeah, you're telling me that. Farid Mashiri has just completely ignored the entire infrastructure of Everton Football Club, the entire sporting infrastructure of Everton Football Club, to consult with a guy who is not on the board, 
and a guy who owns a rival club to make this significant of a managerial decision. Like, this isn't him hiring Sam Allardyce for a year and a half, fully expecting him to leave after six months. This They gave him a three-year contract. They're paying him seven yeah. million pounds a year. Yeah. And he has done all of this without consulting the sporting director, um, basically freezing the sporting director out of the decision-making process, uh, basically taking full control from the board, freezing uh, the chairman, Bill Kenwright, out of the process for the most part. And people thought, no, there's no way this is true. This is just the media trying to rile up Everton fans to get clicks. And at the end of the day, it turns out it was all true. It was all true. And so that's my, now- that is... That is my. That's not even my biggest bone to pick with this. But part the part of that issue is that you don't see functional football clubs operating this way. No, you don't you do see not. clubs operating in this scattered. Not even in just the fantastical ways of the owner, just completely ignoring a sporting director and taking advice from people outside of the club to make a significant managerial choice. You don't mm-hmm. see clubs just making this almost short term of a hire that's so divergent from where they've been before because Mm -hmm. there's no sense of a long-term strategy of you know how this club is going to build over several years there's no sense that marcel brands is doing anything outside of being a very expensive chief scout and at that point if he's just scouting players, then why is he sporting director? Why is he on the board? Why is he even there? And that's no disrespect to Marcel Brands. I think he's good at his job, but if you're not going to give him the authority to actually shape the long-term sporting vision of the club outside of just transfers, then why are you paying him all that money? Yeah. And it's... Yeah. I mean, it sort of confirms a lot of suspicions about Fire Machine's ownership. And it's tough to say because I don't want to say Farad Mashiri is a bad owner because he's not. There are so many examples of worse owners out there. Owners that don't financially back their clubs. <laughs> Stan, I'm Stan Kroenke. Peter Lynn in Valencia right now is a very 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 good example of managers yeah. who don't back their clubs to the financial degree so, that they promise. Can, I, to the can I just add a quick... Like I'm just adding a quick disclaimer here. Uh, people of Valencia um I'm Singaporean. I'm sorry for people. Again. All right, okay. <laughs> I'm just I, saying I that right now. Singapore. I keep forgetting you Singaporean. Yeah, he's Singaporean, man. Like, bro, like we have, I mean, we have Forest Lee at Lion City Sailors who's such a completely different guy, you know? Like, man is really, really, really into football. He's really trusting the process. And then you have Peter Lim in Valencia who's really not liked by the people, you know? Like, he's making he's a lot of this. He's hated by the people, they you know? Like, my boy Marcus, right? You, you remember Marcus? Yeah. <laughs> he used to, he, you know, like, he really loved going to Valencia, but now he realizes he can't because if people ask, like, where are you from, mate? And I'm like, I'm from Singapore. That's it, you know? Gone. Yo, he's done. He's basically, it's like, nah, yep. nah, nah, I'm not serving you. It's, I hope I hope for the sake of the Singaporean Premier League, if they ever embrace privatization, that Peter Lamb is not one of the owners. Me, yeah, seriously, it's, it's. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I want to talk. Yeah, like it's ridiculous, man. It's yeah. ridiculous. It's. Uh, but you're right. You know, end of the day, the guy owning Everton isn't a bad guy. He, yeah, he's not bad, and he's okay. shown so much of a desire to back Everton financially in the transfer market. By all accounts, it's not him not spending the money that is leading to Everton's sort of 
transfer issues now. It's the fact the that he spent. <laughs> well, yeah, one is who we've spent the money on, but two is also the fact that we spent so much money that we're running into issues with financial fair play, and we're running into issues with uh, the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules. To where we've gotten to the point where we just can't spend money. The only reason that we signed Alan Hamas uh, Rodriguez and Abdi last summer was because. Um, Free transfers, right? Premier, the Premier League relaxed the rules around uh, profit and sustainability rules. That like that announcement was made, I think, the very beginning of July, and then a week later, Alan was an Everton player, Hamas was an Everton player, Abdi Dukoray was an Everton player. Yo, wait, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought Hamas is a free transfer. Is it not a free transfer? Yeah, but they had to pay him wages. Ah, uh, that's true. It, it's about like general spending, not just on transfer spending. Wait, how? So, who, yeah. who, who who are you guys paying big bucks to? The one in the Everton spot, the, you know, deserves. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> that don't, much don't get money. Me down that rabbit hole. Don't 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 come and tell me guilty Sigurdsson is one of your top earners and stuff. I think he might be. Oh God, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm I going to quickly Google this. this. You are not going you to get me down this rabbit hole. No, um, bro. Oh my God. Like, Everton's top three. <laughs> uh, Everton's top four earners are Bernard, Yerimina, Luka Dean, Andre Gomez. No, no, no. no. Luka ain't no. fairly justified. <laughs> whoa, whoa, man. Bernard, uh, Yerimina. But not. Not really not. justified, but sort of. Bernard. How's Andre no. Gomez in, in the picture, man? What the hell? I, I don't know. There are so many issues with this team. But back to the manager, it shows that there's no real long-term plan. And no. it shows that a lot of the issues that people were raised before that we sort of just brushed under the carpet as fake news could probably be true. Like, true. I remember back when Ronald Koeman was manager, and Steve Walsh was director of football. Cool, there were a yeah. lot of reports about a lot of discord when it came to transfer decisions. Steve Walsh alleged you know, a lot of nonsense about him having Erling Holland's dad on the phone or something and being able to sign Harry Maguire and Andy Robertson. I think most of that is nonsense, but there were a lot of reports that Steve Walsh wasn't being listened to as director of football. There were players that Ronald Koeman wanted. There were players that Farm Sherry wanted. There were players that Bill Kenwright, the chairman, wanted. It was largely Bill Kenwright's doing. Wayne Rooney's return to the club was, was largely Bill Kenwright's doing. And it sort of shows that this discord, disorganization, and tension sort of existed in the club for a while. And that's not good. That's no. not good at no. all. That's not how no. functioning football clubs work. That's nope, not how not at all. Yeah. Leicester City work. That's not how Liverpool work. That's not how Ajax work. That's not how uh, FC Porto work. That's not how, it's how United clubs that have... Yeah. Well, oh, maybe not now, because it looks not like now, they have though, a plan. Yeah, yeah they It's... Like, why would we even have a sporting director if he's not in these decisions? Like, if he's not the final decision maker, so be it. But he was basically completely frozen out of the process. They've hired someone in Rafa Benitez who does not get along well with sporting directors. Very famously had a very public falling out with Valencia's sporting director, uh, Juan Garcia Patark, I think his name is. And it's the reason why he left Valencia, even though he won the league with Valencia his last season there. Um, very famously said, said in a press conference that he won a sofa and they gave him a lamp in reference to transfers. Um, it's someone in Rafa Benitez who wants all of the control or at least most of the control when it comes to players coming in, when it comes to the sporting direction. And it's someone in Rafa Benitez who we're not sure is going to be here at the end of his three-year contract. Either he loses his job because the fans get at his neck or he does well and he bolts. Yeah. And I well, think I mean I guess 
just as sort of like a final overarching point, a lot of what Farah Mashiri mm-hmm. said about Rafa Benitez, Farah Mashiri was the most vocal of the Everton hierarchy when Rafa Benitez was announced and being the one who was making these public media statements. And a lot of the sentiment around Rafa Benitez being hired was through Mashiri thinking Everton are on the cusp of being consistent European qualifiers, which we aren't. No. Because even if Rafa yeah. gets us into the Europa League, say in the next two years, it's not sustainable. No, it's because not. It's not. The, the the base platform there is not there. The base platform that say Leicester have, to where even if Leicester lose key players, you're going to trust their scouting department to bring in other players. You're going to trust Brendan Rodgers or whoever the manager is to build the system that's going to get Leicester into the top six, basically every Yo. single year. Everton and don't even have that. Then, even then, right, uh, Leicester are kind of smart as well because they don't only have the support of, uh, you know, the people in Lancashire, I suppose, but they have a significant fan base in Thailand. <laughs> you know, they have that extra yeah. revenue stream coming out of the country. Everton don't have that, you know. Unless they sign smart. Lee Kang-in or something like that. You know, a really good player for Korea, for instance. No, that, that's a good, well, good don't, strategy. Don't, don't get me, don't get me on the Kang and Lee Why? train, but that's a different discussion for a different day. But <laughs> I mean, we've seen Everton fans, or I've seen Everton fans, wanting that additional revenue stream in the United States, for instance, where mm. you know they had like the initial push of Everton fans in this country came from Tim Howard playing for Everton for a while and Landon Donovan being on loan there for a while. That's and, right, Landon. There is, you know, untapped potential of should they sign an American player, should they sign a Mexican player, that there is, you know, marketing potential there. But I don't necessarily trust Everton having the ability to have the sporting model necessary to capitalize on that while still being a logical and functioning team. Like they can just go sign, I don't know, Michael Bradley and get a bunch of clicks of fans in the United States, but Michael Bradley would be a terrible signing. (laughs) And. It's just that I don't know how Rafa Benitez wants this team to play. I imagine it's going to be fairly defensive and fairly on the counter. That's how he played at Liverpool. Probably. That's how he played at Newcastle. Um, I don't know who in this team wants to stay. There's a lot of new reports that says Richarlison wants to leave, which would not be good. I imagine Calvert-Loon is going to leave, not this summer, but next summer, because I think he's going to be one of the players that people ask about for those who lose the Erling Holland sweepstakes, especially if he has another good season in the Premier League this year. Um, mm. I imagine whenever PSG get around to wanting to sign a left back, they're going to ask about Luka Dean. And at that point, that's Everton's three best players. And I don't really trust the club to replace them well. And well, at the end of the day, if Rafa leaves sometime in the next three years, whether he gets sacked or not, we're just back in square one again. I guess, I think I guess everybody's just waiting for him to leave as opposed to seeing what the future will look like uh, in the long run. Because I don't think there is a long run. <laughs> there really isn't. Up. I mean, I think, people have made, I think people have made a massive deal about him wanting to be on Merseyside. It is a place that he cares a lot about. His family lives in Wirral. Yeah, uh, it's a community and a place that he cares a lot about. I don't yes. necessarily think he's completely married to staying on Merseyside for several years. Like if he does well in a bigger club than Everton offers him a job, I think he would bolt at the first opportunity. Do but, you think so? I don't think so, man. I, I think he will still stay till the end because of his family. 
I have a feeling that might be true. But I mean, who am I to say? I'm not Rafa. <laughs> I mean, that's also a possibility, but he can always... I think there is... His, his feeling of wanting to be near his family does also partially come from the fact that he was managing a Dalian in China. And, you know, he's thousands and thousands of miles away from his family. But if he takes a job in England, if he takes a job in Europe that isn't Everton, he'll still be at least fairly close enough to his family that Truly. they can make yeah, that I mean, work. Could, it's not I like he's going back does, to China. Does he need that much money after the Stina Dalian? I mean, I don't understand, man. Like, bro, I mean, yo, man's having seven mil, bro. That's like seven big ones right there. To manage Everton. Living the dream. <laughs> okay, okay, the okay. Dream is my nightmare. Your dream is your nightmare. And on that note, right? Um, is there I guess any we, have, we got one more manager to talk about. Who's that? An old friend, Patrick Vieira. Patrick Vieira recently appointed as Crystal Palace manager, right? Just made official today, Patrick Vieira, who was most recently the manager of OGC Nice in France. Is now will be returning to the Premier League. Is now wow. the manager of Crystal Palace. Back in London. For the first time since when he left Arsenal. Yeah, that's insane. That's really insane. Well, I mean, uh, this is the thing I have the disappointment though. I'm afraid it's sort of like a Frank Lampard. Chelsea kind of appointment not similar in the sense whereby he's being rushed into it since he has had managerial experience in the past but I do think you know like it's not the right fit for him man. it really isn't I don't think he should be going to a club like Palace I think if he if I don't think he should be in the Premier League right now because I don't think his tenure at Nice was good enough for him to make that to, level to, of a step. He doesn't up. warrant that move. Yeah, exactly. But you're right. if you were going to take a Premier League job, Palace isn't a bad one because Palace are good, but I don't necessarily think they're so urgently in the face of relegation that he couldn't last the year there. This is the problem, though. All right, fellas need a steady hit at the, you know, you know, re- taking the reins, you know, helming, you know, helming the 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 the, the ship. I don't know whether Patrick Vieira is able to to give all that from the get go. Because end of the day, you're talking about a club that's fighting relegation consistently, you know, and you and this is the thing about managing in the Premier League, I feel. You know, you bring in managers who think, you know, who, from from overseas leagues, and you throw them into, trust them into the Premier League, and they, they don't know what they're in for. Granted, you know, Patrick Vieira has played in the Premier League as a player, and he's a phenomenal midfielder. You know, no one can take that away from him. Can is he a, the best manager for Palace? Though that is the question. <laughs> the last thing we want is you know Palace going down from this. I mean, I, mean, I, I think I, that, plus, I think that's a possibility, but. I mean, last season, Crystal Palace finished 14th, which isn't that high, but they were 14 points above the relegation zone. Which is decent, don't get which me wrong. Which is fairly comfortable, and I but don't eight. think the league has massively improved to the degree where Palace are going to be massively threatened by relegation, especially if Wilfred Zaha stays. Well, And I think they're going to come to the point where, okay, Wilfred Zaha is going to leave eventually. Fair. He's probably Fair. going to leave very soon. And if there's going to be this like new chapter of Crystal Palace, then I don't think I would want 70-some-odd-year-old Roy Hodgson at the helm there. 
And Vieira is a massive risk. I don't think he was that good of a manager when he was at Nice, but I also think there was a lot of outside factors working against him when he was at Nice, especially the previous ownership group that was there, who weren't necessarily reputable business people. But um, I think it is a massive risk, but I think Palace are in a position where they can make risks or they can't take risks because I don't think they're necessarily going to collapse to the degree where they're going to be massively threatened with relegation. And if they I are, they not. can just ha- hire Sam Aldous. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Survive- <he's> a- <laughs> relegation. <laughs> Noted well, relegation he- survivor Sam Aldous. Well, that was until last season. I couldn't prevent West Brom from beating the crowd. <laughs> and his reputation got uh, effectively tarnished because perfect record, right? Everything that he eventually was able to. Such a shame, man. Oh, let's 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 hope and see. Well, all the best, Patrick Vieira. Welcome back to the Premier League. Uh, my dad will be very happy to see you manage Carlos because uh, he's, an, he's an Arsenal fan after all. Uh, really a shame to be an Arsenal fan. Man. <laughs> I feel sorry for that. I really do. Uh, okay, so um, before we go on to you know our next segment on Tampines and the Asian Champions League. Um, Anything else that uh, you know, the viewers, the listeners rather, need to, to know about my brother? Uh, Sergio Ramos is going to PSG. Is that confirmed? Not confirmed, but it's likely going to happen. Okay. Any other it's confirmed rumors? that he's leaving Real Madrid. Well, I mean, that's that's that's, yeah. that's confirmed for a while now. But, 100% uh, confirmed he's leaving Real Madrid. 100% confirmed it right now. It looks like he's agreed to a contract with PSG, and PSG want to announce him, Hakimi, and Donnarumma basically at the same time. I don't know those three players, right? Do they... That's not fixing any of the pain points that they have. So, well, sort of, I guess, you know. I mean, it's fixing the right problem. problem. And it's I think... Well, bringing in Hakimi made the assumption that PSG were likely going to go to a back three. And bringing in Ramos confirms that. That moving forward, their back three is going to be Marquinhos, Kempembe, and Ramos. Which, I uh, mean, that's, that's a short term. If Ramos is healthy, if Ramos is healthy, that's pretty good. But, but even I then, think there are genuine six, questions man. around Sergio around Sergio Ramos's fitness. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, who else do they have to to to, to be deploying that back three lineup? Tilker. Um, <laughs> they don't have depth. That's the problem with PSG, right? They, oh, Diallo, to, uh, they really don't. But they don't, you know. I think that was their main push this year. Is they they're very short term thinking, especially with the rumors that Kylian Mbappe is not going to extend. That they need to win and they need to win now, and they need to do enough when it comes to big name moves to potentially convince Mbappe to stay another year or two. I mean, even if Mbappe leaves, right? Mbappe's transfer is probably going to fuel another spending. But that's the thing. Why? Mbappe, reportedly, according to Lukip, Mbappe has said that he doesn't want to sign a new contract to PSG, but he's not going to push for a move. And I think he's done that in consultation with Real Madrid. And Real Madrid saying, we don't have the money to pay the transfer fee for you right now. But if you wait out the end of your contract, we'll give you a contract on a free transfer. Because after that time period ends, it's very likely that not only will Sergio Ramos not be there, he's not going to be there. Rafael Varane likely won't be there. Luka Modric likely won't be there. And Karen Benzema likely won't be there. So essentially, you're going to build a team around Mbappe. 
Yes, and they're now their financial situation won't be as good, but they'll have a little bit more wiggle room to give Mbappe a big deal as he moves as a free transfer with the money that they would have saved having to give PSG. And even if Mbappe leaves, the fact that PSG gave that contract to Neymar and then Neymar signed that contract basically sealed the commitment that we need to win the Champions League right now. We need to win the Champions League in the next however long that contract is that Neymar signed. I think it's like four years. Interesting. All right. Well, hey, let's see, man. Let's see. Let's see how that pans out. But well, if Sergio Ramos does go to PSG, you're gonna play a back three. I'm gonna announce. I still don't know why they bought Dunga. I still don't. Oh yeah, it's, I have no idea. But I think when it comes to winning the league, I think PSG are likely gonna win the league next year, regardless of who they sign. Simply because Lille are gonna lose That's all what the you players. Say last season, man. Lille, that's not necessarily true, but I mean, because Lil are going to basically lose their whole team. Um, mm, Leon, I true. don't think will be in a position to contend for the league yet. Marseille, I don't think will be in a position to contend for the league yet, even though they're basically signing a new team. Uh, nice definitely won't be in position to contend for the league, and Monaco maybe could. So I think they'll run away with the league regardless. It's just a question of will they finally be able to win the Champions League that they've wanted all these years. I hope not, and I don't think it's gonna happen. Especially if Mbappe leaves. So. Yeah, especially if Mbappe leaves. But even if he stays, right, I don't think they have the depth to compete in the Champions League. Uh, I mean, mate, other teams are stacking up, bro. Look at United, man. <laughs> you know, like for once, actually, United are stacking up. You know, in proper yeah, departments think, as well. Yeah. I think that's also a good point, especially if someone can figure out how to challenge them for a league title next year. Like if somehow Monaco or Leon builds a good enough team to contend for the league title and PSG have to fight on multiple fronts without basically assuming they're going to win the league. I think that's largely part of the reason why they struggled so much in Europe this season. Well, I mean, struggled they got to the semifinal, but I think that exhausted them to the point where they were never going to get past Man City and at that point they were too exhausted yeah. to chase low for the league. So if there is you know, a Monaco, a Lyon, or Marseille, or one of those teams is able to challenge them for the title, then I think that that could potentially back their lack of depth could backfire. Well, I guess, you know, uh, um, on that note, right, um, let's, let's just hope that, you know, PSG don't win it because, yo, nah, man, I, I really want to see Lyon win the title next season or someone else. All right, I'm so happy that Little One's title this season. It's uh, it's refreshing, it's really refreshing, and hopefully, you know, you see someone new in the Premier League next season, like Manchester United. Uh, <laughs> They're not someone new. They have twenty of them. <laughs> someone new, someone new in their past eight years, man. It's been a while, right? Give us a chance. Um, you know, but but like, I, I'm 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 serious about the. Uh, uh, I'm serious about this though. I, I really do think that Leon have it in them to, to win League One. They showed it this season that they have it in them. They just need to not next season. Not next season. No. You don't think it's going to be next season? I think I think there is a project forming under Peter Bosch. There's a project that I'm very optimistic about forming under Peter Bosch. I don't think they're going to be in a position to do it next season because I think it's very invested in that sort of next generation of the youth academy, which is mainly Maxon Kakaret, Ryan Cherokee, Sonali Tremonde, and uh, Malagusta. 
Mm-hmm. And they're going to work them into the team and work them to the point where they are key first team players. And I don't necessarily think that we're at that point yet. So it's but a maybe if just sort of how Leon's transfer window goes, if they're able to still be buyers despite their sort of financial somewhat struggles now, yeah. and they're able to turn his Mauer into you know a good signing as a forward, they're able to turn. If they sell him to Stambelli, they're able to turn him into another competent striker. If they're able to sign someone like Andre Onana, who they've been linked to, then they could potentially contend for the league next season. But this, this sort of timeline for Leon, I don't think is necessarily them contending next season. I think it's them contending either in year, potentially contending in year two, but probably I think the aim is to contend in year three under Bosch. No, fair. I think, I think, I think that's really fair, man. All right. Is there any other transfer talk before we get into our last episode? I think that's it. Sweet. So I guess that wraps up, you know, this segment. Let's move on to the next one. <laughs>